Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, badly evening to you. Badly evening. Mm. It's been a while, the familiar cold embrace of the badly evening. Yeah, badly evening, morning, afternoon, whatever it might be. We are recording about an hour after the final whistle, so normally when we record, it's usually at, at, the, at the earliest, it's sort of like the next day. It's mm. very rare that we do one of these straight after the game so with good reason usually yeah no i mean yeah you you can get to see things again you know the cold light of day is a good place to you know um, make your mind up about certain things so i just want to get it straight here on the record that if i'm a little more erratic than i normally might be if i feel a little bit more i don't know uh reactive or mm, what word can I use here? Fuming. Um, explosive. Ex- explosive. It's going to be an explosive. If it's that, it is because I'm still feeling the, the heat of the game, the heat of the performance, the result, and, and I just fucking hate them. Here we go. There we go. Straight in. Straight in. What? Why is Scott McTominay a footballer? He is a farmhand who leads cows and cattle to a field and he can break rocks with his bare hands and he's very useful about the place. He can probably mend machinery and things like that. And I don't know, when he gets a few pints on him, he does tricks like loafing a tree, you know? Why is he... Why? I I just can't. I saw somebody on Twitter say that we actually bore witness to... um quite a, 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 a football milestone today. Scott McTominay's first ever yellow card. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or was that, when, was that when he like picked up Gabriel Jesus and slammed him to the ground like he was in fucking WWE or something? Was that that one? I think it may well oh, have been. Oh, I'm getting yeah. wound up already. Um, I hate them as well. I really, <laughs> really hate Matthew. <laughs> like uh, it's, I think they're second only to Spurs for me. In terms of my mm. dis- intense dislike, disdain, even. Um, oh yes, hatred is a word I would use. Yeah, so it's a horrible one, mm. and and uh, quite a familiar one in some ways. I feel like we've told this story before that we're about to tell for the next ninety minutes. Yeah, um, you know what though, I have to say, you know there 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 have been times when we've gone to Manchester United and we've got caught on the counter and been sucker punched and things like that. Um, 
I, and we've, like you say, it's a familiar story. It's been read to us by our grandfathers down the years. Let me tell you a, a scary tale, young man, before you go to sleep. And then you have the, yeah. the horrible dreams of... Once um, upon a time, <laughs> there was a team who had 48 touches in the box, but only three shots on target. <laughs> I was going to get to that. But, <laughs> you know, I, I have to say, for all of that and for all of how familiar it is, I don't really remember a game where we went there and looked so good and so dominant. And we, we are obviously going to talk about not making the most of our, our, our possession of our territory of our chances, all of that kind of stuff. But I really did think we played fantastically well for about what first 15 minutes or so was Manchester United. They seemed to be on top, but after that, until basically, their second goal, I thought we were really, really good. And by any standards of the phrase, against the run of play is appropriate to the second Manchester United goal and probably in some ways the first one too. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, the game changed on the disallowed Martinelli goal, didn't it? Mm. really got footing from that point on. I thought it was really interesting that I was reading Marcus Rashford's quotes after the game, and bear in mind, this is a, a match that his team have just won 3-1. Mm. And he said, I thought it was an even game. Um, mm. I, I think that's quite a big sort of tacit admission, really. You know, if a player's just won a match, but theoretically by comfortable scoreline is calling it even, um, I think it, there's an admission in there that basically Arsenal were better for, for long periods. And I feel the same as you. I, I actually was encouraged by quite a lot mm. in the performance. And if Arsenal play like that regularly, they will win a lot more games than they will lose. Yeah. Um, I mean, they'll I win five in six, apparently, <laughs> uh, roughly. I think I said to you at half time, like, if we can just keep playing like this, there's a goal there, a goal will come, and we'd early chances in the second period, and then we got the goal. And, you know, I felt, you know, there are some times where you think, you look at your team playing and you go, I don't know where a goal is coming from. I don't know how we're going to get a goal. We're not really threatening them. And look, the great thing about football is, uh, and one of the bad things about football as well, is that like a goal can come in an, in an instant, in a heartbeat, in a second, against the run of play, with the run of play, all of it. And I think we saw some of that with, with Manchester United. But, you know, it was... It was really good stuff from Arsenal, you know, until, of course, you, you get to that... Um, that final bit of you know putting the ball in the back of the net and everything else, which uh, I'm sure we will come to. But overall, the sort of composure we showed, the way we played, the way we played the game in their half, like you say, 47 or 48 touches in the opposition box. I, I was sort of passing through when they were talking about that on Sky because I just could not look at Roy Keane and Gary Neville a second longer. Um, so I went into the kitchen, made myself a drink to bring up here to, to do the podcast. But did they say that was some kind of record? Uh, I didn't see that. Right. Have been. I, I just saw Adrian Clark put out a tweet, lots of pressure but not enough punch from Arsenal. 48 touches in the box, three mm. shots on target. United had 17 touches in the box and six shots on target. So yeah, the efficiency within that 18-yard box uh, is one of the areas where they edged us certainly but you know everything up to that point was pretty good I thought Arsenal had the better of possession the better of territory use of the ball was generally better um, build up was better we just you know we lost it on on pretty fine margins and mm. 
mistakes were made at the back, certainly. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, you know, in this league, you will have games where you dominate and get sucker punched, especially against a team with the counter-attacking quality of Manchester United. And unfortunately, that's what this was really for Arsenal. Yeah. Um, I mean... Went- and played, I thought, like the home team for long periods. No, I agree. I agree. We were we were on top, and it was great. And I thought the quality of the football, you know, again until that final bit was was really really good. But I think, you know, we we have to remember, like a lot of the discussion, a lot of the talk about this team is how it is a young team, how it's still developing, how it's still maturing. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe you could see today there the elements of maybe immaturity is maybe the wrong word, but. In a couple of the goals in particular, we weren't quite aware of the danger, weren't quite aware of the threat. And I think maybe with a bit more experience, you know, you you look to cut off those uh, opportunities for Manchester United. Um, you know, Yeah, and, and I think as well, I'm sure we'll get to it, but maybe the big tactical change and the triple sub in the second half. Mm. You know, Arsenal had played their way back into the game when 1-0 down and... I think perhaps it's easy to say with hindsight, but it may have been more prudent to kind of pursue that slightly more conservatively rather than going all out as we did with the threat they offered him behind. Yeah, well, we'll come to the substitutions because uh, I do think that is a a, a talking point for sure. And Mikel Arteta, I watched his post-match interview and, um, you know, he didn't seem to think that was really the issue, but I'm not sure I agree. So we'll come to that. So look, United started relatively brightly. I mean, the team, we had Zinchenko back in, we had uh, Odegaard starting, we had Aaron Ramsdale starting. Um, you know, after some injury worries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that was nice, a decent team. Albert Sambiloconga um, kept his place uh, in midfield, and then the front four was the front four that we've sort of come to expect. Um, were you surprised, maybe, that it took us a while to get into the game? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's Old Trafford. I think whatever shape United have been in in the early period of this season, they were coming into this off the back of a couple of wins. It's a big game. United are a big Arsenal, a big rival. Um, I think it's not unusual that you mm. go away to a get a big ground in the Premier League, and it might take you ten to fifteen minutes to settle into it. But I, I do think, as I said, that moment where Martinelli went through, and you know, we've spoken about finishing. I mean, that was Oof. maybe the finish of the game um, from him. That seems to bring Arsenal to life, and also slightly cow United because it just. It was a reminder of Arsenal's quality when they do get it right. Right. So what about that particular incident then? Because, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, yeah, I, I might need to t- take a drink here. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm. It's been quite the weekend for the officiating and for the, the for use of video technology. Let me ask you this before we get into the nuts and bolts of the thing. When Paul Tierney went over there and was standing and he was looking and he was looking and he was looking and he spent a long time looking, did you think he was going to do what Michael Oliver did yesterday when, I don't know if people saw it, but in the Nottingham Forest game, he gave a penalty, the VAR told him to go over and have a look and everyone goes, oh, he's going to have a look, he's going to change his mind and he went over and had a look and went, no, penalty. <laughs> which is quite refreshing, you know, I mean, there's a lot of criticism for VAR and we will obviously have some uh, questions ab- about that and some discussion about that, I'm sure. But I was 
did I fool myself into thinking that maybe the same thing could happen again? Wait, he looked at it for a very he, long yeah, time. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Long enough to suggest that whatever he was seeing was not clear or obvious. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he really did. And, and I, I guess well, as soon as he went over to the monster, my hopes uh, mm. were low. But the longer he looked at it, the more yeah. I thought, well, if he can't definitively see that he's wrong, then maybe he'll stick with it, especially with VAR coming under such scrutiny and such criticism in the last 24 hours. I almost wondered if, you know, the referees might have been told, well, look, you don't have to agree with it if you don't, if you don't want to. Yeah. You're in charge. And I thought maybe <laughs> there'll be a little directive and we'll benefit from it. But that was uh, – yeah. At Old Trafford, maybe that was naive. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, they did say, I think Martin Tyler said on uh, commentary, um, yeah, the referees want to give the goals. I was thinking, did you get a fucking email from PGMOL before you went yeah. on, on on air? Because, uh, you know, that's really not what I'm seeing and not what I've been seeing with the implementation no. of our... It's, it's like... Joy, it's joy sapping. Yeah, it's exactly. Honestly, like, how could we make this less fun? Yeah. Let's, uh. let's find the best thing about football and then see if we can take it away every single time it happens. It's just... It, it is oh. kind of horrendous, yeah. They are, it's pure party pooping. And I think, I do this thing when we score, I don't know about you, but my mind starts racing. Like I, in my mind, I'm already like, What's wow, there a foul here? Yeah, what a goal. Mart Martinelli, what a season he's having. His star is on the rise. He's going to make the Brazil squad for the World Cup. And I sort of get carried away so much in the moment. And then... It all just gets punctured. Yeah. Um, I I find myself more and more thinking, was I go back and I think like mm, is there Am a, I allowed to celebrate this one? Yeah. Like was there something that I should be worried about in the build up? And obviously that one, you know, you could see that there was a collision between the two players, but to my mind, when I saw it happening, I was like, Well, you know what that is? That is the the very in inverted commas foul or the kind of incident that they are letting go all this season because they want to let it flow, right? So mm. do you only... Oh, you described it as a collision between two players. I think that's almost exactly what it was. Yeah. So do you let it flow when when there isn't a goal, but if there is a goal, you can pull it back? It's, I mean, I have to say... Yeah, that, that's very true. Like, if that ball, if that move results in anything else, like it's not pulled back, you know? It's, I mean, did you think... Trying to be objective in as far as it's possible. Did you think it was a foul? I mean, it's probably one of those where if it was the other way around, <laughs> I would say, like, if it was Odegaard who was fouled by Ericsson and United went on to score, I'd be, I'd probably it's a red be. Red card offense. Yeah, of course. And he should be put in jail for the rest of his days. <laughs> but, you know, I also think that. Uh, I watched Mikel Arteta afterwards, and he was asked about it, and he said, well, you know, it's it's the consistency of, like, what what is a foul now? What is the foul? He said he lets them go early in the game because it's a big game. They want to create the atmosphere. They want to let them go, and there were no cards. And I think um, Lissandro Martinez should have been booked after about two minutes. A couple of minutes, yeah. For a foul on, on Gabriel Jesus. You know, that sets the tone as much as just letting it go. I mean, he gave a free kick, of course, but I still think that should have been a booking. Did you watch the Leicester-Brighton game earlier? I saw highlights. Right. Saw Did highlights. you see the Leicester goal in the first minute of the game or the very early on? Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. So did you see Yuri Tielemans barge? I can't remember who it was. Sully yeah. March, I think yeah, it was. Yeah. He literally 
barged him in the back and pushed him off the ball and Leicester went up the field and scored a goal. It was twice, perhaps even three times, more obviously a foul than Odegaard on um, Ericsson. No VAR, didn't pull it back, goal stands. And in this occasion, I don't really understand why, if there is this let it flow edict, the exact foul that they're being told to let it go, let it flow, whatever you want to say, is being pulled back and micro-analyzed in slow motion where everything looks worse anyway. Everything always looks worse in slow motion. Yeah. And also, I mean, look, we were we conceded a goal direct from a corner on Wednesday night Yeah, where I thought there was a much more evident foul and the general perception appeared to be, oh, that's soft. Can't go back for that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. That, yet this, which happens not on the goal line, but 50 yards up the pitch, we must go back for it. Yeah. I, I think in the, the Premier League that we've been accustomed to watching in the last few years, that is often blown as a foul. But there has been a different director this year. And actually... I don't mind that. Like, I like a physical game and I am sort of uh, open to that. I think it it can be beneficial. So I was very frustrated to see that chalked off. And, and you know, it's, the pundits go, he doesn't get the ball. But I think you can use whether or not he gets the ball yourself, and whether yeah. or not he fouls the guy are sort of different questions. Agree, agree. And He's just yeah. sort of near him. And, and after, after... What we did was fucking sensational because it was a brilliant pass from Bakayo Saka and the, yeah. the, the run from Gabriel Martinelli, the touch, the pace, and then the finish. Because that's not like where he put that ball. It's kind of, I'm not going to say it's ridiculous, but I mean, like when De Gea is coming out, I'm thinking, is he going to go to De Gea's right? Mm -hmm. You know, because, you know, it gives him maybe a bit more of the goal to aim for. But like to put it beyond De Gea and into the bottom right-hand corner with his wrong foot, sensational for Martinelli. Um, and I think it's basically uh, a crime against humanity that that has been chalked off. Yeah, and we'll get on to the... Uh, we had a lot of questions, haven't we, about officiating and VAR. So we're, we're, there's more to be said on that, I think. But yeah. in the context of the game, it was, a, it was a, a deflating moment, but also one that seemed to help the team um, because it was a reminder of what they're capable of. And I think they built momentum mm. really from that point in the game. They did. And they, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember now because this is where um, watching the game again or watching the highlights again um, becomes quite useful. But certainly the, um, the momentum, the trajectory of the game completely changed after that incident because we just got right on top of them. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, just before the opening goal, we had a couple of moments. One was Martinelli going down the left-hand side, deflected cross that De Gea, I thought, did well mm. to keep out at the near post. There was Odegaard played a brilliant cross um, oh, the, across the penalty it? box and Martinelli met it with a header, Yeah, um, which was, again, pretty well kept out. Yeah, uh, And, you know, that I think was the... 32nd minute that that was saved. But even before the disallowed goal, Saliba had a yeah, half yeah, chance yeah. really inside the box. Yeah, he should have done um, better with that for sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, a couple of minutes after we had that little flurry of chances, uh, mm. they take the lead. They do. I mean, it's one of those goals where I've watched it 
lots of times now, but I'm sort of watching it once from the one angle, if you like. Um, I mean, there's a few things in this, like Albert Sambi Lukonga is quite high up the pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I cannot express to you how much I love Gabriel Martinelli, but looking at Gabriel Martinelli on this goal, maybe he's saving his energy. I think I'm being perhaps a little bit kind to say he's saving his energy. Um, doesn't really bust a gut to get back. Uh, and then I think Gabriel commits, obviously, to the tackle on Fernandez, which the referee plays the advantage on. Yeah. And then... I think Zinchenko, this is sort of the yin and yang of Zinchenko, isn't it? Because a big part of why we played so well and why we were so dominant in that period where we were really on top is because of the role that he plays in this team and how good he is. I mean, some of his his touches are amazing. I think he's just so secure in possession and so secure when the ball is coming to him that it gives us an element of control in midfield. But I do think as as an out-and-out defender, there are... You know, you could say probably uh, Kieran Tierney is a better defender than Zinchenko, but Zinchenko is a better all-around player and certainly someone who can tuck into that midfield role much better. And I think in this occasion, we maybe saw some of the defensive issues or, did um, you know, weakness might be the wrong word, but he got drawn to the ball and then, of course, it was played outside to um, uh, a man who looks like he was born to play for Manchester United. It's fair to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Um Bruno Fernandes' sort of less appealing-looking brother. (laughs) uh, Yeah, this goal, when United had dangerous moments in the game in the first half, I did feel that Bruno and Rashford were both kind of picking up a bit of space in that area between our back four and our midfield. Mm. And perhaps that's not entirely surprising, given that we've got two defensive midfielders out injured at the present point in time and spend deadline day trying to sign one. Um. (laughs) And Albert Samuel Lukonga, I think, was caught. You know, he 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 tried to close Ericsson down, got caught a bit high, mm. and lo and behold, the ball went into that gap. I think from then on, a few things happened. I mean, Gabriel really commits. In the moment, I felt like he had to. Mm. On, on reflection, maybe he doesn't quite need to. I mean, I think basically eight times out of ten, he makes the foul there and he takes the yellow card and you're applauding a piece of cynical but ultimately practical defending, pragmatic. Mm. But I guess, you know, he doesn't quite get the break of the ball. The referee, as much as it pains me, plays That's a, a good, good advantage, and yeah. fair That's advantage. Right. And I, I, I see Zinchenko's situation slightly differently there. I just think with, with Gabriel so out of position, I kind of feel like maybe he has to come across. But I, yeah. yeah, maybe so. I'm looking at it again. I mean, what do you think of... The goalkeeper, is there anything he can really do there? Beyond? Yeah, a slightly odd one because he... Because he, he moves for his near post when I think the finish is very obviously going to go far post. Yeah, which makes me think, did he give him the eyes? Because to everyone watching, you're thinking, that's going far post. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's just his momentum that carries him that way or if he's deceived by like a look or a dummy. But yeah, I think he read that one wrong for sure. And I'm not, I don't know if he gets there anyway, but it's... Uh, yeah, I think you'd probably look at that thinking. Yeah, I mean, that. it's you know, it's a solid finish from a guy who's, what, 10 yards from goal? He's in his perfect position now yeah. to need to finish that, unfortunately. Yeah, so you can't, um, you can't put too much on a goalkeeper when he's beaten like that, when he's one-on-one, but um, it did look just a little bit strange. Yeah. Um, where do we go next? I mean, we got to halftime. It's nil-nil. 
I think we are quite a good chance early on, didn't we? When was the Odegaard chance? Um, yeah, f- uh, about but- fifty-one minutes, something right. like that. And it was it was two things back to back. It was a cutback which Odegaard sort of didn't make the right contact with. Mm. Um, and then there was a sack of shot just wide, wasn't it? Exactly, flashed it across the goal from the right hand side. Um, which on another day, you know, might come off a defender and go into the net, but it doesn't. Um, but then we do get our, our, our equaliser. I mean, it's good work from, I mean, I said on the live blog, like I could feel that there was a, there was a goal coming because, you know, there was a, there was a really lovely move, wasn't there? Do you remember the one where I think eventually Saka overlapped on the right hand? No, on the left, he'd come over to the left and he put in a cross, which, bounced on the top of the crossbar, but Arsenal mm-hmm. worked the ball out from the back and it was a beautiful piece of play. Um, lovely football, you know, to see us play that way and with that kind of confidence, this is where, you know, it's quite difficult to sort of gather my thoughts at this point because I like a lot of what we did, but obviously when you're on the end of a 3-1 defeat, the the result sort of overshadows how you think about everything else. But I do think some of the football that we played was really, really good. Um, yeah, it's a nice pass from uh, Odegaard mm. off his right foot, actually, in the build-up to this goal, which gives, I think it's Varane, a problem. Yeah. Um, I mean, he Jesus gave Varane and Martinez problems all day long. Yeah, like he, he was, was excellent, particularly in the first hour. Yeah. I thought he was the best player on the pitch, really. And, you know, it's so interesting. We've had this conversation before about physicality and do Arsenal need a tall forward? And, mm. you know... Uh, admittedly, he was up against Alessandro Martinez in one of those centre-halves today, so not the tallest. But physically, he, he really gave them a tough time. And Varane too, you know, the backing in, the ability to receive the ball. There was one, I think, Rousey kicked about 60 yards and he just sort of killed it. Yeah, dead. on his thigh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with a defender on him as well. It's a great outlet for us. And and uh, another, you know, I know he's kind of flavour of the month at the moment, but it was another good performance from him. Yeah. Uh, and, and I thought Martinelli as well. I mean, those two in tandem are a nightmare to defend. You would not want to be up against them. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. They, they um, are relentless. So the second United goal. Um, yeah. I think there was like a, there was a moment in this where, like I like the intricate stuff that we play. I like when we're creative. I just think there was like a moment when Zinchenko did a little kind of backflick to Lakonga, um, which he got away with, but it just didn't just, I don't know what it was. I was going, oh, don't do that. And then Sambi gave the ball away. Um, yeah, he sort of takes it out to his left foot, doesn't he? And, and he's not comfortable there. Um, and actually, the position we lose the ball in mm. really affects the structure of the team because suddenly you've got Sambi almost in the left-back spot um, Zinchenko trying to cover the centre of the midfield and United just play straight through the middle. I mean, it's it pains me with all of my heart to say this, but it's a very good pass by Fernandez. Yeah, um, very upsetting, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's horrendous. Um, I think they got quite lucky with the finish as well. I, a I, little I've not bit. seen a good... It's hard to tell because it takes the deflection so early. But I think he might have been screwing that wide. But. Right, I'll have to. I can look at it again because I've just downloaded the game, so I can look at the, I can look at it from all the angles while we're talking. But I just wonder if, um, 
you know, in that kind of circumstance, remember we talked a bit earlier about like the team being a little bit inexperienced. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder about Saliba's positioning in the, in that one. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have a look at the angles here. Yeah. He, let, he gets run across diagonally, yeah. doesn't he? And maybe he should just drop off a little. It's hard. It's impossible to know because he takes the shot and it hits, is it Ben White? It's very early, yeah. Yeah, he takes it very early, so it's just impossible to know where that was going. Um, I think Ben White was really unlucky for both of the goals, to be <laughs> yeah. honest. He really was. On another day, he's That's making... An, an incredible block. Yeah. yeah, he's making two fantastic blocks because he was the one who got back in for the second goal, almost got back in and, and made the block for the second goal. And, you know, it's last-ditch defending when you're the last guy. It's tough going, but he really did did well to get back in there. I think he was quite unlucky, but we paid the price for a sloppiness high, high up the pitch and then um, just a little bit of inexperience at the back. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think, by the way, just to say, like the threat from United was always in behind, right? Like it was always those pacey front men, get, you know, running in behind our high line. And I think we could have been a bit, as you say, smarter about that. Yeah. So, look, it's 2-1. And I think one of the things maybe that plays into the the decision that Mikel Arteta m- makes with his substitutions is the fact that Odegaard was, you know, carrying a knock mm-hmm. after the Villa game. Zinchenko hadn't trained um, on the Friday anyway when he had his press conference. He said Zinchenko hadn't trained. Maybe he's just t- talking bullshit and he had trained and he was just spoofing you know for the sake of whatever a little bit of team news or team um, marginal gain he might get there but two guys who have been injured so maybe that played a part in the um, in the decision making you know when they were coming off the pitch but I'm just going to get the quotes here from Mikel Arteta if I can and uh, let's have a look here he was asked on Sky about um, the triple substitution. He said, did the triple sub make the team more open? He said, I don't think so. The way we were playing, we have the same numbers in the back line against the players they had, maybe different profiles, but I don't think that was the case. And I kind of disagree because I, I think it changed the shape of the team. I think the, that change of shape is what United took advantage for for their third goal. Yeah, I'm trying to work out exactly how we were set up, excuse me, after the changes, because we went to the the system that we used, I think, against Fulham, right, which was sort of Jesus and Ketia up top, Martinelli and Saka as wing-backs. And then I guess it was kind of Shaka, Shaka, Vieira and Smith-Rowe through the middle. Yeah. But... I don't know. I mean, when we did that against Fulham, we had Shaka and El Nenny still on the pitch at mm. kind of the base of that midfield, which gave, I think, the wing backs and the creative players and the strikers more license and gave the team more structure. Mm. I think going with just Shaka, not leaving one of Sambi or Zinchenko in next to him, mm. was probably too cavalier against an opposition who carry this much threat. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it again and I think what it is is there's a there's a piece missing in midfield. 
Yeah. And it's it's probably where your your six should be, right? Um, I mean, Ericsson makes the run. I've done the pausing thing. It didn't look offside to me. Um, ben White yeah, uh, almost our gets offside by. line. I think Ben White just gets it wrong, basically. Um, I think that's a little bit harsh on him, just a little bit because, yeah, maybe he should. Uh, maybe he does. Because Saliba's playing high, right? Yeah. He's like on the halfway line. I don't know why he's quite that far forward, though. I, I agree with that. That's slightly odd. But I think if you're in that back three with him, mm. you probably need to follow him. Um, I don't know. Yeah, he's actually, yeah. It's just, I think we got a little bit ragged, you know? We didn't, sure, quite, yeah. we didn't quite find... I think you could make a case for each of those substitutions on their own, you know? Like we said about the players who've been injured and everything else, but I think it left us just a little bit scrambled for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And United took full advantage of that, and uh, it was a very annoying goal to concede. It was a very annoying goal, and I think... I mean, Ben White, he really nearly gets there. He does. He does. Um, but, um, and and three goals, I think, really flattered them. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, look, I saw Roy Keane was on TV afterwards and he was going, who, you know, who cares about performance? It's all about winning football matches. And it's like, yeah, okay, it is. We all know that. But, like, you have to, you have to be able to analyze a game um, beyond the scoreline. You know, you have to be able to say, I'm sure even Manchester United will say, okay, well, that was maybe not our best performance, but we did this, this, and this, it worked. We did this, this, and this didn't work. And from an Arsenal perspective, you've got to be able to look at a lot of what we did, or, you know, at least a good chunk of what we did and feel encouraged by the way that we played. You know, this was a way at Old Trafford. And, you know, you can say, okay, we got sucker punched again. This is what always happens to us. And maybe, maybe that's true. But you have to be able to try and objectively analyze both sides of a performance. It's really difficult, isn't it, sitting here after a 3-1 defeat to try and think about the things that we did well, the things um, that were good about the way we played. But, you know, for me, it was just more of a continuation of what we've seen for the most part of this season, that this is a team that looks pretty solid, pretty confident, assured of its um, decision-making. Like, they didn't look overawed or worried about going behind they got a goal back and i think from there there i think you can start talking about the the experience or inexperience and i think that applies still to a certain extent to the manager as well that Mm -hmm. there are things that he does sometimes that you know in hindsight he probably wishes he hadn't and the three subs i think he might reflect on that and think uh that probably wasn't wise. Um, you know, he could have done two, then another one a little while later. So you're not moving so many parts around. Um, and when you are playing a team that is good on the counterattack, um, maybe that's what you have to think about. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we scored that Martinelli goal and they ended up scoring three goals against us that were pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. Um had we got that first goal, it would have changed the pattern of the game, would have made it a very different affair. But I, I still think you look at those raw numbers and, you know, 61% possession, 16 shots away at Old Trafford. Yes, we didn't 
always um, convert that into really threatening chances. But I think I think Arsenal have played six league games and they've been the better side in six league games. And I think mm. Roy Keane can say it's about results. And I think, of course, he's correct in one respect, but you have to hope that your performances, if you perform well in the longer term, that's going to be what's truly beneficial. And sure. Arsenal, uh, United have won, I think, four on the spin. Fair play. But I think even the United fan would tell you they've not been great in any of those games. Um, I, it was amazing to me that, like, um, you know, on Sky, it was like they lost the first two games and it was barely conceivable that they could win four in a row. And it's like, mm. wh- what? It, I mean, this is, at the end of the day, Manchester United. So they keep saying, you know, uh, yeah, but you know, I know the idea, what you mean, yeah, yeah, I, I know they, I, you know, I think the brain, the they were bad in their first game, but I think the Brentford game was just a bit of a freak, a freaky game, you know, like Brentford will play Manchester United, I don't know how many times, and they will never beat them four nil again. That We've just all had happen. a freaky away game at Brentford. <laughs> We've got one in a couple yeah, of weeks' time, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, um, yeah, where were we on this? Where I don't we- know. I mean, you know, when I t- I tweeted. Um, after the game, and I, I said something to the and I'll say what I actually said because I think then it'll, you know, I'll, I'll get it right. I said, um, it's always painful to lose to United, and those were poor goals to concede. Don't get me wrong, every point matters, but I think most people watching would conclude that Arsenal looked a better team, and you have to hope that over the course of the season that pays dividends. And I actually had like quite a lot of United fans in my replies making a point of coming on to say, as a United fan, I felt like you battered us in that game. Mm. Which, you know, we don't care what they think, but it, it's sort of indicative. You know, every I think a lot of people who were watching this match thinking, Arsenal aren't really up to much. They haven't played anybody. Mm. Bizarrely enough, I'd include Gary Neville in that from his commentary on Sky, came away from the game with a better impression of Arsenal than they had going in, in some ways. Yeah. Um, I know that won't be much comfort because it's the wins and the points we really want. But sure. I don't think it's a case of back to the drawing board. I do think there are some some areas of concern. And one thing that I really think is, you know, on the horizon, just a few games away, Arsenal have a, a Premier League game against Spurs, mm. North London Derby. And the way United played and the way they scored their goals in this game felt very Spursy. Yeah. I, I, I would urge Arsenal and Arteta to use this game to learn the lessons before that derby match. I think that's a great point because I was thinking very much the same kind of thing like playing pretty bang average football but being super efficient on the break or mm-hmm. you know with the with the good forwards that you have and yeah um you know we saw that last season as well where you know there is there is something to be said for we are going to go there we're going to play our game we're going to try and win we're going to, you know, uh, dominate possession. We're going to play in your half. And that's great. But you have to be super, super conscious that unless you're so solid, when the ball breaks down from time to time, as it always is going to do in a game, you're able to cope with what the opposition have um, mm-hmm. from an, uh, an attacking perspective. So, Especially... Against teams who have that quality, and as, you know, we don't want to give United too much credit, but um, in those moments, 
they pick the right pass, they pick the right shot, mm. they pick the right options. Um, they were clinical with the, what they had, and Spurs, you know, will be the same. Mm. And if Arsenal are going to... I don't think Arsenal are going to change their philosophy. I don't think Mikel Arteta is ever going to go into these games and think, I don't want to dominate the ball. I don't want to take the game to the opposition. But you have to... You have to press home the advantage sure. in those moments and you have to convert that into goals. Otherwise, otherwise, you end up proving people like Roy Keane right and no one wants that. Yeah. So, look, Arsenal, and we've done the touches in the box thing. 16 shots to United's 10, yeah. but three on target to United's six. Mm-hmm. Does this feed into perhaps what Mikel Arteta was saying a couple of weeks ago where he talked about wanting more firepower? Do you think that those things are related or is it it's not beyond the realms of possibility that the players we have on the pitch could do more in certain uh, scenarios that we got ourselves into i think sometimes we're a bit guilty of just waiting for the perfect opportunity i don't want to do that whole arsenal they just try and walk it in kind of thing but there are times where i feel like we could be uh just take a little more of a chance in the box when it's open for you even if it's on your wrong foot take a shot um, you know, those those kind of moments. I know there's a thing about, like, you want to uh, fashion the most, um, the best possible chance you can get. And I do think our XG was higher than um, United's. Maybe that's uh, by virtue of the 16 shots uh, as much as anything else. But, you know, there are moments where you think, just pull the trigger. Yeah, because I've seen our finishing criticised, but I, I, honestly, I don't reflect on a great many of wasted shooting opportunity or chances that yeah. shots that were bad, if you see what I mean. It's just one pass too many or like one yeah. flick too many, you know, th- those kind of things. Yeah, I think there's something to that for sure. But it's also it's also kind of a game state thing in that, you know, when Arsenal played in transition, the rare opportunities they had, I think they were very good. Again, you'd cite that Martinelli goal or some of the breaks Jesus made against the run of play. Mm. But when you are the ball-dominant team against side who are flooding back who've got eight or nine men behind the ball you almost have to work that bit harder find Mm. that extra pass and you know we didn't quite manage that today so it's frustrating it's frustrating Mm. but I would say not for me anyway not too disheartening I would I would feel a lot worse if we'd gone to Old Trafford and we just weren't in the game you know if we'd been on the end of a 3-1 where we huffed and puffed and didn't really show very much and lost, I'd feel a lot worse. I mean, I feel bad enough as it is, but, you know, I do think there are things to be encouraged about. I think we've always said there are going to be games this season where things don't go your way. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have to deal with adversity. You're going to deal with defeats. You're going to deal with decisions that don't go your way that perhaps change the complexion of a game. And I think this is this is one of those. Yeah. Um, you know, I know it's still very, very early days, but I'm, you know, I, as much as I hate losing to them, um, I feel slightly, what's the word? I mean, we're still top of the league, <laughs> you know, it's a yeah, nice yeah. place to lose a game from, even if obviously I would prefer to have taken all three points, you know, United are the ones playing catch up. Other teams are the ones playing catch up this season, and uh, you know I, I think we have to take the take the positives from what we did today, learn from the inexperienced moments, and I think there were some, and 
you know, work on those on the training ground and try and put those right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it, it is still a young team. Sambi is very young in midfield, and maybe we'll have a question or two about him in, in part two. Saliba is still quite young as a central defender. You do make mistakes, you know. You do you do have to go through these moments to to learn and to to hone your game. So it's frustrating and it's annoying, and I think the scoreline really really flatters Manchester United. I wish we'd been just a little bit more efficient in the final third because I think that would have you know we would we would be sitting here talking about taking a point at the very least. Um, but it's not like we were completely outplayed or anything like that. Far from it, you know? No, absolutely. So, yeah, and listen, one thing we've seen from Arsenal this season is the capacity to bounce back within games. I mean, they did well to get back into the game and get the equaliser today. Um, that's partly why I feel like they should have kept plugging away with what they were doing when they went to 2-1 instead of mm. really rolling the dice at that point in at, in time. But they've got a good opportunity next week. Two games is the start of uh, that experience for this squad. You know, having the European trips and away trip, and then a Premier League game on the Sunday. It's going to be really important that they adjust to that, cope with that, handle it. Um, and and Everton at home next week mm. is a fairly kind fixture to get you back on the Premier League horse. I think. Sure. Sure, and one that we won convincingly last season. I know the dynamics of that game were very different. Season was yeah. over, Everton had just avoided relegation. And, and you were, were there, so the boys really was, wanted to yeah, play up, you know. They did it. They, they were highly it so motivated. Well. And I, I thank them for that. It was very kind of them. Um, anything else on this before we go into part two? I'm sure there are probably some other bits and pieces that will crop up in the questions. Um, I think that's it, really. I think, yeah, let's get let's get to the questions, see how we do Oh, there. can I just make one point? Oh, Yeah. Based on the the commentary, and he he, uh, do you remember the the foul by Sambi on Bruno Fernandez? Yes, where he sort of followed through, and there was a little bit of studs on the back of the calf or whatever. But I think it was mm -hmm. more about momentum than anything else. And Gary Neville was like, "Ooh, ooh, that's ooh, that's nasty." And then they were talking about like some of the fouls in the Manchester United games before. And they were talking about the... Remember the game when Gary and Phil Neville fucking Tweedled Cunt and Tweedled Cunter fucking uh, ganged up on Jose Antonio Reyes? Yeah. And, and literally did that, but much more cynically and continuously throughout the game and never got fucking booked. It was just... It was obscene almost the way that they kicked him off the park that day. And he's going, well, I... With me, it was just a bit like oh, mistiming. I never did any of that. I was like, fuck off. You rewriting history, little fucker. So that was the only other point I wanted to make. No, I think that's absolutely fair. And to be honest, it, I did find it slightly galling and frustrating that, you know, when it's Man United, Liverpool, Old Trafford, they have Neville and... Carragher yeah. in the in the country box together, and we have to have just have Gary Neville. Um, you know, it's not as if Sky don't have someone like Alan Smith on their books who they could just bring in to provide some balance. Um, so I found it very strange that they chose not to do that. Yeah, I wish they'd um, bring in Patrick Vieira and Cole Palmer <laughs> and see how. Oh well, yeah, see, yeah, exactly. See what he has to say for himself. Then, all right, let's take a little break here. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Thank you. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Um, let me allow you to go first this evening, James. Okay. Um, let's deal with this. So uh, MT, MNT and 56, Munson and 56 on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, says, has this weekend been the beginning of the end for VAR? <laughs> Their involvement today was as predictable as it was disappointing. And then Scrumpy Lungs on the Discord <laughs> said, VAR this weekend, West Ham disallowed goal, Van Dijk should have been sent off, Newcastle disallowed goal, Leeds not getting a penalty, Villa disallowed goal, Brighton disallowed goal, Arsenal disallowed goal. Question, what the fuck do we do about this thing that is ruining the Premier League? I don't know. I don't know what we do. Um, like uh, people will make the point, it is not the technology; it is the people using the the technology. But I also think it's the implementation of the technology. Um, like I said in the first half, and I said this on Twitter as well, it, it really feels like they are trying as much as possible to find any way possible to disallow a goal. Like there was one today. The Brighton goal. Did you see that one? That was disallowed. Mm. Ball came in. The guy was offside. He went for an overhead kick. Nobody appealed for offside. I don't think it really impacted the passage of play in any way. Uh, guy whacks it into the top corner. Best strike he'll ever hit in his life. And they go back and they take four and a half minutes. Four and a half minutes before they can come to the conclusion that a, this guy was offside when the ball was played by how much we don't know. And that's that. That's, I mean, the impact on the games is just awful because you feel like you can't celebrate a goal because there's going to be something that will chalk it off. And not not only, you know, you know that they're, they're analyzing it too much. There's too much. It's too microscopic. Like, it is having a, a negative impact on football. I mean, the, the the decisions yesterday, whatever about ours today, where you could probably go either way on whether that's a foul or not, you know. Yeah, the West on, Ham one is scandalous. The West Ham one is absolutely ridiculous. To disallow a goal like that in a London derby at that stage of the game for nothing, like l literally nothing, you know, it's no wonder people are asking questions about the people who are running the game or officiating the games. Because, you know, when, when you see something like that, you know, two thoughts go through your head. One is it's just pure ineptitude, and the other is that it is corruption 
of some uh, sort. I don't want to go down that road, but it's easy to, to let yourself think that because you look at it and you go, well, how can anybody who is working as a professional in the game of football look at that and think it is sufficient to disallow a goal? So the other option comes straight into your head. I also think the Newcastle one was ridiculous as well. Mm. A foul on the goalkeeper, but it's only a foul on the goalkeeper because the Crystal Palace defender pushes Joe Willock into his own goalkeeper and actually gets what he deserves when the ball rebounds off him and uh, goes into the net because that can be a dangerous foul. When, you know, Willock was going up for the... um, who's going to go up for the header or whatever it was, if you're pushing a player in the back, even a little nudge when he's running at high speed, and also when there's another goal kill, another player coming towards him, that could have been a fairly heavy collision. You know, you could be talking cracks of heads or smashed teeth or whatever it is. So I thought he got exactly what he deserved for that. And somehow they give that as a, as a foul on the goalkeeper. It is, it's, it's bonkers. I don't, I just, don't get it. I don't know what they're seeing that we are not seeing. No, and I think you've nailed it. It does just feel like they're looking for reasons to disallow goals. And I say that knowing that, you know... Last, goal... last week it didn't happen for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, if a goal was scored against us and there was a marginal foul in the build-up, we'd probably be spitting blood um, and the like. But, you know, that is football. That is football. And, and and I think, personally, that is a price I'm prepared to pay, actually. Like, it is a price I'm prepared to pay because I do think that this is so damaging to the spectacle of the game, especially for uh, the fan in the ground who may be a minority, but I think are increasingly treated with such contempt by the game. Yeah. Um, so are you talking about, like, doing away with VAR and just dealing with human error and refereeing mistakes. The referee got the West Ham one right in real time. Yeah. He gave a go. And and the Brighton one today, that would have, nobody would have appealed. Nobody even appealed for an offside. Nobody would have appealed. And and shout out to Alexis McAllister, by the way, because he did get an absolute screamer in the 93rd minute, but he he shouldn't have had to go and do that. I, I, I basically think that I understand the point people make. It's not the technology, it's the implementation. Those guys love, people who say that, I'm like, you love technology, but don't you know eventually the technology will turn against us and mount a rebellion? That's how it works. Have you not seen Terminator? (laughs) But I do think that if you ask yourself the fundamental question, like, are, are are we still getting controversy? Are we still getting mistakes, even with the use of video? That I think the answer to that is definitively yes at this point in time. And I accept there are lots of times where VAR gets it right and we don't talk about it. But I just think that the cost in terms of the spectacle, for me personally, is is too great. Like I just don't see it as being worth the trade-off at this point in time. Do you think and the I, do you think the the what did you say? The, the controversy is worse, surely. Well, yeah, because it's more egregious, right? Yeah. Like, I think actually, I know this is a point Tim Stillman's made in the, in the past, but, um, you know, if, if we accept that referees are going to make some errors in real time, you know, I, I do think there are 23 people on a football pitch and we accept 
23 human beings and we accept sort of inconsistency or mistakes are a fact of 22 of those people. Mm. But it, it's, you know, it's only fair and reasonable to accept that in the 23rd. And I do think if we could sort of be a bit more, <laughs> as a nation, as a football-loving public, grown up about that and realise that, you know, mistakes happen, but, you know, we're sort of, for the for the integrity of the spectacle, mm. then it's not worth applying the technology. I personally think that would be my preference. Sure. Um, but is it, but it's, the genie's out of the bottle now. Yeah. But but do you not also think that that the what we're seeing from the officials on VAR feeds into the distrust that people might have had at maybe a low level or a medium level about the standard of officiating in the Premier League and is now off the fucking charts. Well, yeah, the more scrutiny you apply, the more maddening the decisions will yeah. be. And, and unfortunately, video technology and its place in the game and its place in the coverage of football is hugely amplifying all these conversations because it's that much harder to get your head around them getting it wrong. Mm. And my personal opinion is that I would far rather the money that is being used on implementing this technology was used to raise the standard of on-field officials. That that would be my preference. But I completely accept that for some people that seems like a very Luddite stance. And I also accept we're past that point now. Yeah, I mean, it's not going back. Um, but this was an interesting one on the Discord from The Baptist who said, do you think the way the discussion around VAR is framed helps? He said, all the discussion at half time was based around if Odegaard fouled Ericsson, but it should have been, did Paul Tierney make a clear and obvious error in not making a foul or not calling a foul initially? Yeah, I mean, for me, the conversation should be, the, the great thing about football is goals. Like, yeah, the laws of the game should be, and in some cases have been designed to be advantageous to attackers and to facilitate those moments that make people love football and love the game. Mm. And it does just feel like we are chiseling away at that and making a game with fine margins even finer mm. and reducing some of the joy. I mean... You know, one of the other problems football has with video is that football, it's not tennis where the ball's in or out. You know, its it's got a set of laws that um, require, to a certain extent, interpretation or certainly are open to interpretation. Mm. And so the pursuit of kind of objective right or wrong is always going to be problematic because there's too much grey. Um, but even something like offside, which is seemingly black or white personally i just find even even and i know i know we can go automated with offside and that is what's going to happen and that will probably be better than someone getting a ruler out in a studio in wherever it might be but even that just seems completely absurd i mean if a guy is an inch in front of you i don't really see how that sort of the spirit of the law or the spirit of the game do you know what i mean like mm. It's not realistically, you haven't made a mistake. You're not in the wrong position if he's half an inch ahead of you. 
Yeah, because you've I, moved your foot like a half a second before he has. Yeah, I just feel like, what what are we doing? <laughs> what what are we doing? Yeah, and I accept that there's so much money involved now and so much investment, and it is a low scoring game. So these moments that are goals have huge weight. You know, hundreds of thousands of pounds rest on every goal, and so people want it to be absolute and they want it to be right, but. It doesn't feel like we're getting any, we may be getting a bit closer on a purely statistical level. We might be getting more right, but sport is a spectacle and I think we're taken away from it. Yeah. I mean, look, we've, um, we've had decisions go against us for time immemorial. That is yeah. kind of what happens in football. And I don't want to be one of those people who say it evens out over the course of the season because I'm not sure that's true. I think big clubs tend to get more decisions than smaller clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's the way it's always worked. There's a, I don't know whether it's a, um, what kind of pressure it is or if it's just a weight of things happening in a game where, you know, it tends to go that way. But... I don't know, like the last couple of years with VAR, it really is soul-destroying to watch a game of football and then sit there, wait around for a few minutes to see if there's some way they can uh, disallow it or chalk it off. Like, surely even something like a time limit. I don't know if that would work. Does that just add to the entertainment? Does it make it more exact? But at least if it's just 60 seconds, like if it takes you four and a half minutes to decide something, you it's don't not, know. Yeah, you exactly. don't know. It's like the, what was the goal last season for, was it Gabriel Martinelli against Brighton? Mm, yeah, they, yeah. They, they didn't know. It took them ages. There was no way they could possibly have seen it. And unfortunately, the way that they are thinking about it is, well, better safe than sorry. Yeah. Better not a goal than a goal. And it should maybe be the other way around. I 100% think it should be the other way around. And I bet those away fans, when Bukai Saka put the ball in the net, their first looks were to the linesman, to the referee, and not to the bloke next to them jumping up and down. And I think that's tragic. Um, Tragic is a great word, because it is. You know, and it's... um, you know, it is the best thing about football is a goal going in. Whenever it goes in, whether it's the first minute or the 90th minute, whatever it is, you know, this is what they work on. This is what teams do all week long is they figure out ways to try and fucking stick the ball in the back of the opposition net. And it's really difficult. It's really difficult. Well, a lot of the time it's really difficult unless you're playing Bournemouth or something, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, it, it's tough, um, you know, to... I don't know what's it. What what must it be like now as a player to score a goal, and then, I mean, what 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 do you think? I mean, do you get lost in the moment? You see them; they still do. I think you know they get lost in the moment, and then it's like, oh, here we go. But then there'll come a time where players will score, and they just won't celebrate. Well, that's a horrible thought to have. I mean, I think I I just think goals are the reason we love games and you know mm. they are you wait 90 minutes for one sometimes and then you you know I, I accept that if one goes against you and it's a big goal and you feel it shouldn't have stood that's going to be painful but I can just say imagine that's offset by stop having this thing of the rug ripped from under your feet and goals that you score taken away from you mm. I, listen maybe it's because 
I support quite a good team who, in general, score more, more goals than they can see. But that's a mm. a bargain I'd gladly make. And um, yeah, it, it, it's. I, I do wonder as well if maybe the point about the coverage is interesting. You know, the way in which this is covered, it's becoming so dominated. I mean, how long have we spent talking about the podcast as well? Mm. But it's just like it's become such a huge part of football discourse. Um, and actually, like, although things going against you is kind of frustrating and annoying, it's also just part of being a football fan, right? Like, we're football fans. You know, every if you could, I could find you a fan of every club who thinks there's a refereeing conspiracy oh, yeah. against them. Sure. If we if you built a robot that made objective decisions and that refereed the game, people would be asking, "Well, where was the robot built? Was it in the Greater Manchester area?" Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's in our nature. But like, I kind of think that's part of the football diaspora, and that's you know how it's foot. That's always going to be there, and and I think the more accepting we are of that, the less kind of problematic this all becomes. But yeah, basically I, yeah, I, I, I've found this weekend's decisions mm. and the coverage of them all pretty gloomy, to be honest. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. It really is. It's, it's bad for the game. It's bad. You know, you made the point earlier. Um, I know there's a worldwide audience. I know that the Premier League is a product and all that kind of stuff. But like, why? You know, people are talking this this season about like the atmosphere in Arsenal, for example. You know, that's what we know, and that's what we're most aware of. Is like this this sort of sensation, this feeling we have. Even if I haven't been to a game this season, I can feel it. I know what's going on. It's not just from talking to you. It's because I'm watching the games. I'm seeing the pictures. I'm hearing the songs. I can hear the crowd. I know the way they react to things. You know, all of that kind of stuff. And the idea that the fans inside the ground are like this secondary um, idea to the people who run the game, I mean, that's going to have an impact at some point too. And that's what that's worrying also, I think. Yeah. Because I mean, in purely practical terms, do you think that there is a benefit to something like a challenge system? where, you know, the, the video technology is only instigated when a team kind of plays their card, essentially. Maybe so. Maybe so. Because, you know, if you have a limited number of challenges in a game, I mean, you could use them all, of course. And you could end up with many, maybe many of the same decisions that we're seeing. But... Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the fundamental, isn't it? I mean, if you play the challenge card, but the decision... Yeah, how many still... times are you going to concede three goals in a game? Not that often. So every yeah. time you concede, you're going to go, uh, have a look at that. Every goal would be challenged. Every goal suspect, would be yeah. challenged. So I, I think, you know, that I like the idea of it, but I think it's imperfect. But ultimately, the genie is well and truly out of the bottle. The technology is established, even if we all think it's fucking chronic. And uh, I think this is just something we're going to have to learn to live with for better or worse. And, and eventually, I do. the technology will rise up and destroy us all. Yeah, a robot, robots, Terminators from Greater Manchester. The robot referees from Greater Manchester <laughs> are coming for us. Let me ask you a question, then we'll get off okay. this. Um, Just a ruse, sixteen on uh, the Discord. So, do you reckon Arteta has seen enough from Ben White 
to consider starting him in the number six spot. Lokonga hasn't been poor in his passing, but has been lacking that defensive prowess that Thomas Partey makes look effortless. We are creating enough chances through other channels, and it's not like Ben White can't pick out a decent ball and keep things ticking. Hmm, interesting one. My my instant thought is that when I think of what's required of our defensive midfielder, it's quite a specific thing. And I, I think of them receiving a ball from a centre-back or the goalkeeper with their back to goal and being able to either sweep that ball out to a full-back or turn into space. Mm. And I, I couldn't tell you, in all honesty, if Ben White can do that or not. Because it's just such a different... Dynamic. It's like when you take an attacking midfielder and put them as a number nine. Just the the sort of body shape mm. is so different that I couldn't say with certainty. Oh yeah, he'll be great at that. Um, so I'm not sure. What do you think of the Ben White, the new Colo Torre? Well, I mean, him. this is it. This is the the um, again a story as old as time. A decent ball playing defender can easily be the uh, the DM that we've been missing the whole time. He um, has done it a bit. That is the only did, difference. He's done it a bit at Leeds. But but he did it at Leeds under Marcelo Bielsa, who's, you know, you might ostensibly be starting in midfield, but you could be man-marking a guy who's going to be here, there, and everywhere. So you're pretty much everywhere as well. So yeah. I don't think it's quite as structured a, a role um, at Leeds as it would be at Arsenal. Um, you know... Maybe the wider issue, I don't think, I don't really think that there's any way that Mikel Arteta will use Ben White in midfield unless there's an absolute um, complete crisis and we don't have anybody. Mm-hmm. I would be very surprised yeah. to see him move him. Um, I think the likes of Shaka and Zinchenko would be higher yeah, on the list. I think so too. But what about the broader point about Albert Sambi Lokonga, who I thought on the ball today was pretty good. Um, made some good switches of play. He was competitive again. But I think there is something to... Um, people have said, you know, it took Thomas Partey a little while to figure out that role. And this is Thomas Partey, who's, you know, hugely experienced player, um, you know, worked with uh, Diego Simeone at Atletico Madrid. It took him a while at Arsenal to get on top of that role. You remember last season, he he, he rated himself four out of 10 because, yeah. you know, he... Feels rec- like a long time ago now, doesn't does, it? does, yeah. But yeah. So he recognised that, you know, he had some issues in that role. So I think when we talk about Sambi, if there's criticism to be made of him in some of the positioning and the defensive aspect of that, I I think that's fair. But it's not to say, like, well, this guy's terrible and, you know, he can't ever be a decent player for Arsenal. It's just that I think he's been um, put into a role which is very, very specific and maybe requires a skill set and an experience which he doesn't quite have yet. Yeah, I think in short, he's better on the ball than off it at the present point in time. And I think because Partey is quite good on the ball, I think sometimes we overlook what he does off it and... There have been games this season, I particularly think at Selhurst Park, where he he wasn't very good on the ball, but made a number of important tackles or duels mm. or picked up loose balls. I think he quietly does quite a fair bit of that. Um, and I don't think Sambi's there yet in that respect. However, and, and, and you know, Arsenal tried to sign a, a, a Premier League player to come in and do that role in Partey's absence because 
made no mistake about it. I think Arsenal got a problem with Partey's fitness. Um, you know, I found it telling that all Arteta's language was like, well, we hope it will be not too bad. We hope it will be two weeks. And how can you do more than that? Because this is a player who's had mm. persistent injury problems. Um, and I understand entirely why Arsenal went for someone in the market. At the same time, as they were doing it, I was kind of thinking, well, what does it say to Sambi? You know, if you really believe in Sambi and you think he can be that player one day, and then you get a couple of injuries in that position. And the first thing you do is try and go out and buy someone. Yeah, to a certain extent, you you know, yeah. this is the time when you have to play that player, I think. Um so I, I'm intrigued to see how he gets on. I, I think he struggled defensively today at times, and I think he probably will as he learns and adapts and grows. And that's something we're going to have to accept because he's an inexperienced player. Um, but I'm not prepared to sort of write him off and say you'll never be able to do it because it's just too early for us to make that call. Sure, I agree. And I, I think maybe what we're seeing is that the party situation is one that the club have to give very serious consideration to because of the persistent injuries that he's had. You saw the stat, I'm sure, from Morbino, who's like he's only started 58% of games, Premier League games, since mm. he arrived. So that means he's missed 42% of Premier League games since he arrived. And after a couple of seasons, you know, you could say, well, if it was one season, well, that was just a bit unlucky. But two seasons, and here we are into the third season, we've got another injury absence. So I, I do think it's one that they're going to have to think about fairly seriously um, going forward because that particular midfield role in this team, in this setup, is really important. Yeah, it reminds me of the Santi Cazorla situation a little bit where Arsenal had a very uniquely talented player who kind of made that midfield really, really work. Um, but he was also cursed with quite bad injury problems. Mm. And Partey's a, a different footballer in some ways. There are some similarities in the way they wriggle away from people. But again, it's a situation where, you know, he is vulnerable to injury. And I, I suppose if you wanted to be critical of the club, you would say, you know, that they seem to make an assessment and realise that Kieran Tierney's persistent injury issues necessitated a first-team calibre player coming in sure. to, to kind of supplement him. Um, and they don't quite seem to have arrived early enough at that conclusion for Partey. Hmm. Um, Can I follow up on that? Do you mind? Because I've yeah, got a yeah, question yeah. right here. Um, ba -ba 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 -bum. Let me see. Uh, it comes from... I had it right here and I know that it was on Twitter. And now I can't find it. Oh, here it is. It's from James Gilhini, who's at JJ Gilhini, who said, two clean sheets in six, arguably our two best outright defenders on the bench. Time to change the back four? Hmm. I don't think it'll be talked about because um, he's flavour of the month. But I thought William Saliba had his most difficult game today in an Arsenal shirt. I agree. Uh, um, and in one of those games, he put a head of pass Ramsdale. <laughs> but no, I think he's generally been very good and I'm ve a massive fan of him, as you know. But I thought he had a tough game today. Um, I thought he struggled a bit with the, the, the speed and the running in behind. Mm -hmm. 
Which is not something I would necessarily associate with him. Yeah, usually. we had a question on the Discord actually about like, do do we worry about the pace of defenders? I don't know if I can find it here now. Uh, oh yeah, ATX Bergkamp Lover sixty nine sixty nine four twenty. Wonder what that guy's into. Anyway, he said, um, "Do you worry about the lack of pace with Saliba Gabriel going forward, uh, and/or that other teams might effectively use this match, uh, the Manchester United match, as a blueprint?" Well, I worry about Spurs, as I said in part one. Yeah, yeah. but no, I don't. I don't worry about uh, pace. I think Gabriel's pretty quick over the ground. I think Saliba's shown he is. There's a great incident last season where Mbappe's got about a ten yard head start on him, and he yeah. gets back and wins the ball. Um. I think today it was more sort of positioning and, and his awareness of the runs off him. I think he was beaten by a couple of diagonal runs. Um, but no, I, I, I'm not quite in a place of rip it up and start again. I, I think I think I've seen enough from that quartet to think that, you know, it's worth persisting with, especially, you know, you look at the games we've got coming up, Everton at home, for example, mm. expect us to have quite a lot of the ball. I think these guys are really, really good on the ball. I mean, we had a similar question that I'll sort of throw back at you, which was from, uh, who was it? Russian19 on Twitter, who said, was playing T- Zinchenko over-ambitious? Tierney may have defended better, if not as good going forward. Um, I mean... It's a hindsight one, I think, a bit. I mean, a little bit. I mean, I did. I do think that Zinchenko is more in line with what Arteta wants from a player at left back than Tierney. Yeah. I think Tierney is much more a bread and butter left back, if that makes sense. And And I I have to say, as much as everyone's enjoying uh, making fun of him for being quite short, I do think you can see now that Lissandro Martinez is a, a pretty good footballer and again would have fitted that mould at left back pretty well. I agree. He is. A, I mean, I never had any sort of doubt that no. he was a good player, but, you know, the fact that we were going to play him at left back rather than than centre half um, tells you probably what Mikel Arteta wants. And, and look, I think Tierney's a really good player, good character, glad to have him in the squad. He was one of those first name on the team sheet players for the last couple of years. But I think what Mikel Arteta wants from the player at left back is different from Kieran Tierney's main strengths. Um, that said, I could see today where maybe you could make a case for Tierney being in the team as somebody who would give you greater defensive solidity. But then do you get that control? Do you get the control that we had for the best part of an hour without Zinchenko pulling the strings in the way that he does in in, in midfield and the yeah. way that it allows Granit Xhaka to, to... And I think, again, Granit Xhaka had a good game today. Um, yeah, and I looked at United's right side early on, Anthony and Dallow, and they've got quick feet and they're mm. fast and a lot of trickery. And I thought, oh, Zinchenko might be in trouble here. But I don't think he looked massively stretched at, at points in the game. Um you know, we talked about the first goal. Did he make the right decision there? But I didn't think he was hugely tested. Mm. So I don't think I don't think it was a game where we needed Tierney really. Actually, as it as the as the pattern of the game turned out. Yeah. Um, would you change the back four, or would you stick with it? I mean, I 
It's tough. It's a tough one because uh, no decision is clear cut, really. Yeah. Um, and Tommy Asu hasn't really. I think he's still finding his way to be back. Dropped, has he? Tommy Asu. No no, 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 no. But I mean, the question then is like, what? What do you change if you change one of the centre halves? Personally, I think if it were me, if I if I had to make a change. I think I would probably shift Saliba left and play Ben White with Saliba. I think Gabrielle mm. is maybe the one most at risk. And we've had this conversation before, and I say this, you know, where I said a couple of weeks or last week after the Fulham game where I thought he had a very, very good game defensively. And obviously, apart from the mistake, but I thought he'd – was it the Fulham game? I can't remember, but there was one where he made a couple of really good uh, defensive interventions. Could have been Bournemouth or um, – yeah, I mean, he's a good player. I, yeah. I, I, but I'm with you. I'd be curious to see that partnership, for sure. Yeah. And I think we will at some point, inevitably. Mm. Um, it's, good, yeah, it's a good it's I, a good problem to have, to sit here and figure out how you fit in these good players in your team, rather than go like, well, I hope we never see him again, you know? Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to see who plays centre-half in the week in the Europa League, you know? Um Obviously, you'd think Rob Holding, but I mean, do you think he might give Tommy Asu? Actually, there was a there was a question I think on the Discord. So apologies for doing all these questions, but uh, seeing as it's come up, um, let's see. It was about rotation. Uh, Mister ba- or Bad Mister Blonde uh, said, "How would you approach this Thursday? Maximum rotation to rest key players, or minimal rotation to hopefully put the game away early and restore confidence." Big rotation. For Big me. rotation. Maximum rotation for me as well. And I think you might be right. I don't know if this is what you're going to say, but Tommy Asu at centre half yeah. could be an option in the Europa League. That's what I was thinking to get the minutes. You've got Cedric, of course. You've got Rob Holding. Rob Holding play on the right, and Rob Holding can play on the left as well. But Tommy Asu plays left centre half for for Japan. For yeah. Japan. So you could, um, you know, at right back. I know no one wants to think of Cedric there, but, you know, in a Europa League game, I think if you're doing maximum rotation, you know, that makes sense, uh, at least to keep him with some minutes under his belt. And then you get minutes into Tommy Asu in a position that's very natural to him alongside Rob Holding and, and I guess, Kieran Tierney. Bigger question maybe might be what we do at midfield. Yeah, I think that that gets a bit trickier and probably some players are going to have to play. Um, especially, yeah. I don't know if you saw David Ornstein's uh, I did. I did. tweet suggesting that Emma Smith Rowe may have picked up a problem. That's a real blow if that's the case, you know, because obviously the shifting the priorities to the central midfielder meant we didn't go and get a wide man. And he is, you know, ostensibly the rotation player, isn't he, in those wide positions? Mm. It's a good time yeah. to be Marquinhos. Let's put it like that. <laughs> it might also be a good time to be uh, Fabio Vieira, about whom we had some questions as yeah. well. So, uh, Goon87, I'll let you do a couple of questions after this, I promise. Um, Goon87 said, Fabio Vieira, a positive wrinkle to the match tonight. Pleased to see somebody uh, uh, so willing to shoot despite falling over the ball a couple of times. And uh, is it Consrod? Consrod says, disappointing result, but any thoughts on Vieira's cameo? Thought he looked sharp and at least ready for a start against Zurich. Yeah, I think that's a good summary. I thought he looked good. Um, a couple of rusty moments, but there was one pass that was nearly uh, sensational. Mm. Um I think he's a really good footballer. 
when he signed, uh, I did the uh, the the Y Scout yeah, thing. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, because I hadn't seen him play. For people who for people who don't know, Y Scout is a um, it's like a, a database of footballers, but you can then pull up clips of them doing like. Uh, it's like it's like Pornhub for footballers. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but you What's can do similar? the you can do like uh, left footed passes, whatever it is, assists. You can break it down, see the goals, see all the, the the clips and the highlights of them. So that's a way of like saying you know or seeing what a, what a player is like um, in the nude. I believe is it it's in the nude. So it's something. It's yeah. often in the nude. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought he was good, and I think. Mm. Hey, if you were depressed by us failing to sign someone on deadline day, you can just pretend we signed Fabio Vieira on deadline day and feel better about everything. Um, <laughs> I, I do think that his signing has been a bit overlooked. I've said that before, basically because mm. we've not really seen him and we don't really know what we've got there. But I think he's got a ton of talent and I think he's going to be a really exciting player. So, yeah, looking forward to see what he does and... He looked up for it when he came on and he was he, he had a couple of good moments. So that would be really a boost, especially if Smith Rowe's got a problem if he yeah. can start contributing. Yeah, for sure. There was one brilliant pass from Martinelli. Yeah. Do you remember that one where he just sort Across of the pitch, yeah. curled it into the penalty box and it was like so close to being perfection. It was really, really, really good vision and like um uh, Goon87 said he did have a couple of shots, put one over the bar. He got one on target. Not really a difficult save mm-hmm. for David De Gea, but got himself about. And like you, I think he is one of those players who, you know, perhaps people haven't thought about too much. It was good to see him. You know, as much as I didn't really think the um, the triple sub was a great idea, uh, you know, to see him on the sideline and come on uh, was good because I think this is a player who can really, who can really contribute to this team. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I mean, I, I know you said you were going to give me some questions, but we've sort of covered all the questions broadly that I had. Um, I had ones about Vieira's and Schenko. I've got one about Saka, but we're getting that every week. Do you want it? Go on. Sam J. Crawley. I may be in a minority, but I feel like Saka hasn't really hit the ground running this season, at least to his heights of last season. And then he says, who would be your in-squad alternative to give him a rest or kick up the arse? I mean, it kind of has to be Fabio Vieira. Well, I mean, I guess it would be Fabio Vieira. But also, I think Bakayo Saka has got, you know, in six games, what's he got? Like three assists and a goal? I agree. Yeah. He's not He's not played at his best, for sure. I think we can still see a lot more from him, but it's two goals and an assist. And he won um, the... Uh, he brought about the second goal against Crystal Palace, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not really a goal contribution. Today, of course, for Martinelli. Yeah, should have been an assist for Martinelli. Should have had a penalty last week. You yeah. know, I think some of his running is really good. So Hit the bar today, flash one across goal. I, I agree he's not at his best, but he's still Very threat. good. Very yeah. good. Do you think we'll get the... Um, morale boosting after, you know, our... Our uh, unbeaten run was brought to an end. Do you think we'll get the morale-boosting Saka contract announcement this week? Maybe. It sounds close, doesn't it? Because mm. um, he was talking about it. He was talking about Mikel Arteta and yeah, how he seems good very it is confident. to work with him. And- they, everyone's very confident. Um, so it's probably a matter of time. Maybe it will take – maybe they'll wait for the international break or something like that. But, yeah, that will be a big boost when it comes, uh, even if he's not 
on top of his game, like like others have said. I, I just think when he's really flying, things are just very fluid and automatic for him, and they're just not quite there. Um, but I thought he had the better of is it Malassia, the left back for United? Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I really thought he had the better of him. I Maybe could so have made too. more of that. Yeah, yeah. But look, there you go. Um, I think that's probably it for this evening. We should get this out for people to Let's listen to. Let's get it to. to the people. Let's get it to the people. And uh, yeah, they can compartmentalize this result. Hopefully we go on to beat Zurich. We go on to beat Everton. Everything's back on track. We get the Saka contract announcement. All that. And we'll listen, all, we'll what, all losing one Premier League game out of 38. It's not it's such a, a bad It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. <laughs> I'm only joking. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, there you go. And actually, I've talked myself with you into a better mood than I was in um, when I came upstairs. Well, there you so go. So thank That's you very much for that. It's good, isn't it? It's kind of cathartic. I know people say sometimes, you know, listening to the podcast after a bad result is cathartic. But sometimes for us, um, doing the podcast is cathartic. I don't know if you feel that way tonight, but I certainly do. I don't know if it was you, the conversation... I think it might have been the drinks. Or the Bombay Sapphire. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> no, it was I'd love you. to take the credit. It was I don't you. know if I can. It's all you. You got the assist on this one, James. Thank you. Oh, great. Great, great, great. I'm not on top of my game, but I'm still racking up the assist. So that's fine. <laughs> New contract for you coming next week, by the way, as well. All right. right. That'll be morale boosting for everyone. All right. Uh, thank you, folks. Um, have a great weekend, or what's left of it anyway. Um, thanks for being here, as always. We'll do some stuff midweek, of course. There's Europa League action. And then there is uh, another game next Sunday. So we'll be on top of all of that. For now, though, have a good one. Remember, Gary Neville is a triad, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details